0: breaking cycles in your life. Um, Just the whole concept of cycles alone. Obviously, we want to break cycles of failure, negative cycles or, uh, you know, things in our life that we need freedom from. How many know that the Lord has come to set us free? He's come to give us a new identity in Him. And in this identity, we learn what freedom really is. And it's important that we understand that God wants us free. God, It's not God when we are bound to sin and defeat and to depression. It is not God's will for us. He doesn't try to teach us who He is through oppression. God has come to set the oppressed free. That's always been a part of the, the cycle or the stain or pollution or disease of sin. And sin and death has been reigning in the world until Jesus broke the cycle of sin, death, and encapsulated in all that is fear and bondage and all of the things that we are free from in Christ. We're no longer orphans. We're no longer strangers, but we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God. We've been made at one with Him. And I want to talk to you this morning about breaking cycles. How many know... That there are uh, there are cycles. Have you ever felt like you're just uh, you're just treading water, or you're just swimming upstream? Have you ever felt like that in your life? How many feel like that right now? You can raise your hand. Be honest. You're in church. Can't lie. Jesus is here. I want to talk to you about breaking those cycles. I mean, if we're just real about our Christianity, and we say, "Yeah, there's some areas I need freedom in," and and sometimes. The answer is a lot more simple than we think, and let's let's discuss that. Sometimes we try to complicate it, and I want to give you a simple solution. How many love simple solutions? Come on, I don't know about you, but if I if I need uh, some work done on my car, um, I know oh, there's this one time my wife and I needed a new radiator in our uh, minivan that we had at the time, and I'm like oh, I can change that thing, and I'm like I'm not like I'm not totally uh, ignorant when it comes to being a mechanic, but I ended up having to take off the whole front end of the car and it took me three days. I'd rather paid someone a hundred dollars to fix that thing. How many like simple solutions? Okay. So today's going to be one of those things. It's just going to be a simple solution to help you overcome and to help you be free. I love freedom. I love freedom because Jesus set us free and it is, it is illegal And it is not right for Christians to be bound because of what the blood has purchased for us. He set us free from death. Amen. Amen. John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. I love the Gospel of John. After this, it says, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porches, say five porches, John chapter five, and then in verse three, he says in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel would come down at a certain time to the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of what Ever disease he had now a certain man was there who had been who had had an infirmity 38 years look at your neighbor and say that's it that's a long time that's a long time to be paralyzed to be lame to be sick and then verse 6 says when jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time he said do you want to be made well I want you to look at your person, your neighbor next to you and say, do you want to be made well? Come on, you got to say it with authority. Ask them. It's a serious question and it deserves a serious answer. Now, this guy complicated the answer a little bit. Jesus wasn't there to entertain his superstition or his theological formula. He wasn't even there to address it, but he says this in verse 7. The sick man answered, sir... I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. It's kind of offensive. It's kind of, if you think about it, Jesus is telling this guy that's been paralyzed 38 years, get up. He had a bed that determined where he went. He had something that he had to lay on that determined wherever he would go. And Jesus says, get up. I mean, if you think about it, if, if one of us walked up to somebody that was paralyzed, hey, get up and push your own wheelchair. Yeah. Think about the authority that Jesus walked in. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus looks at this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. This guy has been going through year after a year of this cycle of defeat and failure, this disease of being immobile, being paralyzed. He can't move. He can't function like a normal body, a normal person can. And Jesus just says, get up. Get up. It's a lot more simple than a theological formula. Seven steps to recovering mobility. Seven keys to how to function in the kingdom of God. I'm I'm for seven steps. I'm for, you know, systematic theology. I I like that kind of stuff. But I love the story because it is a demonstration of grace. It's a demonstration of the power of God, the power of the gospel. How many know the gospel is, in fact, good news? The gospel isn't some formula to help us just succeed in life. It's good news that liberates us from the power of sin and death and the disease and sicknesses of sin. And it sets us free so that we can be free and live the way God intended us to. Now let's look at verse 9. Immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. You might want to underline that. That's interesting. It was the Sabbath, the day of rest. Verse 10, let's just read a few more verses. The Jews therefore said to him... uh, the man that was just healed. It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. I love how he just blames Jesus. The Lord told me to do it. You know, you do that all the time when you get in trouble. The Lord told me to do it. Verse 12. Then they asked him, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? And then they go on and he begins to talk about. Who it was that set him free. I could have swore I put this on silent just before I came out here, but I must have had it on silent and I switched it. Somebody's calling me. Just answer it and let him hear the preaching. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about breaking cycles. I want to talk to you about the power of grace. Um, You know, I I don't know about you, but how many of you have children that have a hard time getting out of bed? Anybody there? How many have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes? Anybody in this room? How many have a hard time getting out of bed this morning? How many have a Keurig coffee maker just outside your bed? You just touch it and it brews a nice pot of Starbucks, thick, bold. Come on, that good caffeinated (laughs) espresso. A quadruple espresso. No, I don't drink that much. Whoa, I'd be like, I'd be tripping. I'd be crawling up on the ceiling, hanging from the grid. Praise God. Let's go another hour in worship. How many have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes? I don't know about you, but I have a few children, just a few. And some of them have a hard time getting out of bed, not mentioning any names, Josiah. He said, hey. Matter of fact, this morning I said, Bubba, get up right now. You don't want to make mama late. You got to get up. And I started counting. And he just starts getting up out of bed. Some of our kids get irritable when you try to get them out of bed. There's something about rising up that we have to learn how to do. Now, when I was little, I loved the way my dad did it. He would, and I, I'm trying to implement this with my sons. It's not worked yet, but I'm praying that it does. But my dad used to be like, in the military, we had five minutes to do this, this, and this. And, and he'd be like, get up, get up, get up, get up. And he would like, I'd wake up, and I'd like, yeah, I'm in the Army. I'm in the Air Force like my dad. And I'd get up, and like that, he got me. Like, he tricked me to get up and actually wake up in the morning. Um, sometimes we have to learn just to get up. Amen. We've got to learn to rise up. Uh, having all my children, we tried to go on a bike ride one time and it didn't turn out the way that we thought we went and, uh, rode around. How many love cycling? Come on. And some people now, let me say this. If you're, if you're one of these, it's okay. I love you. But a bike is not a car. Don't drive in my lane. Okay. That's just, I'm just venting. I'm ranting a little bit. Come on, somebody. Okay. <laughs> Waiting for the light to turn red and then go like, will you please go on the sidewalk or the bike lane? Thank you. Amen. So we're biking, and uh, we have so many children. We had to have like a train and like 17 trailers. No, we don't have that many kids. But we did have to have one little, little. what do they call those things, a little bike trailer in the back. And, of course, who's the one to pull that? Moi. Me, Right. And my wife has her bike, and it's a cute purple Schwinn. And, and you know, David has a little BMX, and Sarah has her, like, pink beach cruiser. And then I get the other two, this is before we had Layla, in the back. So I have all this extra weight. And I don't know if you know this, but Josiah's a big boy. He's got big bones. I mean, this kid is kind of thick, and um, it's all the ice cream, Josiah. And they're behind me, and I'm, He's laughing. Don't cry. I'm I'm just kidding. No. And we decided to go riding at Lake Las Vegas. How many have ever been to Lake Las Vegas? Well, we decided to come down the hill. And we always forget when you go downhill that you got to go back up the hill. You don't think about it. This is so fun down the hill. And you see how fast. And then you're like, wait a minute. I got to come back up this hill. Well, it's okay if you're on a bike, sort of. Because even the ones that didn't have two other children pulling behind them, had a hard time going up this hill. And at one point I was like, are you kidding me? I'm cycling and I'm just doing this thing. I had to stop. I was striving. I was working so hard and I realized I ain't going to make it up this hill unless I stop and I rest and I take a minute. And I found my way up there. Finally, I think I actually had to pull it and get off and walk a little. Yes, I did. It's a steep hill. Um, but have you ever felt like you're just stuck in the mud? Like you're just cycles. Everything's in cycles. Like, oh, yeah, it's just going to happen again. It's that time of year I'm going to get the flu. You know, it's like we have, we have this, uh, you know, this cyclic thinking, this way about that it's just going to happen because everything works in cycles and seasons. And what we don't realize is that is actually a stem of orphaned victimized thinking. God appeared to Abraham, made a covenant with him, and he told him to do some things. And he said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless the whole world. And God revealed to him that there was one God and he was the most high God. And there was something about this covenant he made with Abraham that changed the face of the way people lived their lives. In that time, there was nomadic wanderers, and they lived in cycles. Everything was a cycle. Everything was, you, you're just, you, you're, it's just going to happen again. If there's a famine, it's just going to happen again. As a matter of fact, it was usually based upon different superstitions that the reason there's a famine is because the gods were angry at you. And I think sometimes we don't realize it, but there is a little bit of that pollution, those lies in our Christianity. And this guy is sitting in John 5 before a pool, and he talk about cycles, 38 years he cannot move. How's, how's he going to get out of this? I mean, did he really think this would be the day that he would get healed? I'm sure that he hoped But maybe he just thought it was just another day. I mean, 38 years is a long time. I'm 38 years old. You know, I'm not that old, but that's a long time to be paralyzed. And this guy is sitting before this pool. Now, I want you to understand something, that this pool uh, is not some theological formula. We see some verse in the Old Testament where God sent an angel to stir the water. There's no biblical premises on this. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even address it, and that should tell you something. Amen. I don't know if you caught that or not, but sometimes we spend way too much time addressing bad theology instead of learning the real good theology, which is Jesus. Amen? If we know the real thing, the counterfeit's easy to identify. And Jesus doesn't even address it, but this was, in fact, more of a superstition than anything. And this guy was victimized by superstition. Now, that makes me want to contrast to you just a little let let me just make you think. Let the teacher in me make you think a little bit. How much of our theology is actually superstition? Think about that for a minute. Just this formula, this cycle. Well, oh man, the reason I had a bad week is because I didn't read my Bible enough this week. That's superstition. That's superstition. God doesn't work like that. Oh man, the reason I, I, I'm having a hard time in... In my life is because you know, uh, is because I didn't keep the Ten Commandments, you know, and I and I, I just I gotta I gotta uphold the law, and that's the reason that I'm not I'm not serving God enough, and I'm not there's this superstitious understanding we're still stuck under this uh, do's and don'ts, this rules and regulations, and this guy based upon this formula based upon the superstitions waiting to be cured of his disease. Now it's interesting that in Uh, in Jerusalem, at this actual pool, it's believed that there was a spring. So it would bubble up. So there was a natural phenomenon. It would bubble up. And the people said, oh, that's an angel. And the first one to get in would be whole. Now, there was actually some, historically, that may have been healed of skin diseases because of the minerals that are in the water. But I don't think, and I probably would say there probably wasn't anyone healed of something of this nature because it didn't go as deep to the disease of what this guy needed wholeness from. Isn't that a picture of humanity? That we're trying to cover the surface and we're trying to get healed with surface things, with a rash instead of the disease or the core or the virus that's causing the rash, the virus of sin, the virus of what God has set us free from. So Jesus is... It just walks up to this guy and sees that he's been in that condition for a long time, knows what he's been through, knows, you know, he said, the father has counted every hair on your head. And he says, do you want to be made well? Now, I think maybe the guy in verse seven, maybe he really thought Jesus was going to help him. Maybe he thought Jesus would help him to the water when it stirred. Maybe Jesus was this nice guy that was going to, you know, like escort him. As soon as the water started moving, bring him into the water but maybe he was making excuses. Maybe he thought that that was all that could happen to him based upon his paradigm. Maybe he was stuck in superstition instead of understanding all it takes, hear me this morning, is one word from God so you can rise up. Now I want to tell you something, that when Jesus tells you to rise up, you can rise up. There's life in His voice. I want you to say that. There's life in His voice. When God blessed Adam and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, there was life. It says he breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. Now that's recorded that that happened on the day of Sabbath, on the seventh day of creation. That's when he became a living soul. He was created on day six and then Adam's alive. And guess what day he's alive on, on the Sabbath, because God wants us to rest and work, not work and rest. This is a picture of law and grace. This is a picture, and it's interesting, Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees can't see the work of Jesus because they're so stuck under rule and obligations. Their paradigm is limited, their ability to actually see the working of grace and the power of God. I wonder how many of us as believers sometimes are limited and our ability to perceive a working of heaven because it's not coming in the way that we thought it would come. But I want to tell you something. When Jesus, he says it later in verse 25 of John 5, that the, when those who hear the, the dead hear the voice of God, they will live. When you hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, rise up and take your bed and walk, you're going to rise up if you choose to rise up. And it might seem offensive. Even some of your leaders might tell you, hey, just stop that. Hey, just get up. Hey, just overcome that thing. Well, you just don't understand what I've been through. Like, I know I don't understand what you've been through, but I know what Jesus went through that that purchased your freedom. Oh, this should have been an applause right there. Oh, you just don't know how. Jesus was a victim so you could be a victor. So you're not a victim anymore. And don't be a victim to superstition. And don't be a victim to theological formula. And don't be a victim to law and rules and obligations, but see God's grace working in the story. John chapter 5. Five is the number of grace. There's five porches. The name uh, of Bethesda, it actually means place of outpouring or house of grace. You know, the grace of God is not just a cushion to fall on. Mercy is in the scope of grace, but that's the definition of mercy. Mercy. Mercy is like I messed up and God's merciful, thank God. But grace is power. And sometimes we're striving, we're cycling, everything is in a cycle and we're not getting anywhere. We're stuck in the mud and God wants you to know you need to stop it and enter His rest and rise up and do what He's created you to do. Amen. Amen. I love the word rise and take your bed. I, I like it actually in New King James because he uses the word rise. There was a time I was... I was struggling with some things in my own heart, in my own life. I'm in this room, I'm in the sanctuary, and I'm praying. And I needed to hear from God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 it says, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I needed to hear from God. I knew I was a son. I knew, but I needed to hear his voice, something to affirm and strengthen and stir up and breathe life into the reality that I'm a son of God. Yes. And I was down. I I felt paralyzed. I felt like quitting. I felt like a victim. I felt like blaming everyone else for the situation that I was in. But I didn't realize that that was the wrong way of thinking. And God started changing the way I think. 1 John 2.27 says, The anointing teaches us. The anointing teaches us. The anointing is a manifestation, a fragrance, a smearing of who Jesus is. Jesus is the anointed one. It's a revelation of who he is. That when you're anointed for something, you take on an aspect of God's heart for a particular ministry. If you're anointed to teach, you take on a part of God's heart to teach. And the anointing teaches us. In other words, God's heart manifested to us teaches us. It changes the way we think. It changes our framework. It changes the way we live our life and sometimes our framework and our thinking, we're still feeling powerless or we're still feeling that that the reason this is happening is because of spiritual warfare or the reason this is happening, oh, the angel has to come and stir the water and I have to get into it. Superstitions and all these things. And God began to change the way I think and I'm praying and I, I heard a whisper. I heard a whisper from heaven. He said, rise up. And it started getting louder and I'm praying and I'm praying in the spirit and I heard it again. He said, rise up. And I heard it again and it got a little bit louder. He said, rise up. And God didn't change what he said. And he's not changing what he's saying to you this morning. He's still telling his people rise up. And I had to surrender to striving and I had to rise up to actually working from a place of rest in my identity as a son. And I heard him say, son, rise up. And some life came into me. I can't explain it, but God breathed his breath of life in me. And now I understand where the scripture says, for this reason, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Come on. First John five, four says, if you're born of God, you overcome the world. And this is the, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. I believe what he said to me. If you believe the words of Jesus, you can throw out law. You can throw out superstition and understand you're in a relationship with the creator. Come on. You've been made in the image of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not an orphan anymore. And when he says, rise up, get up, take your bed and walk. The bed determined wherever he went. And God says, take the thing that determines your life and take dominion over it and reign because the power of grace. I'm glad four of you are feeling me this morning. I know it's first service. I know it's the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday and I'm preaching like there's 50,000 people in here. Why? Because I know the power of grace. The power of grace has changed me. Oh, they healed on the Sabbath. They miss the miracle because they're so focused on legalism. Yeah. No. Don't miss what God's doing in your life. Well, oh, I have to read my Bible four times a week. <laughs> Just sh- stop it. Spend time with God. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, he said later on, he says, you know, you guys search the scriptures diligently. You know the Bible really well. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says this, but you don't see that they testify of me. It's a person, not a formula. It's the power of grace, not law. It's not striving, it's rest and working. Well, God doesn't. And let me say this entering God's rest to a first century Jew is much different than entering rest to a Christian today. We're laying on the bed of our theological understanding of what it is to serve God. I'm just entering God's rest. Sometimes Christians take that and I like, understand and they do nothing. That is not rest. Come on. God created us before the fall to work. Amen. Six days a week. Oh, I knew I wouldn't get too many many amens right there. You're made to work. God, that's part of our nature as human. We're made to work. Now, later on, the curse said, When you work, you're gonna be sweaty and thorns and thistles are gonna come forth. But in the beginning. God says that you're going to work and abundance is going to come forth. Be fruitful and multiply. I love this story because it exemplifies the power of one word from God, the power that the voice of heaven can change our thinking, can change the way we look at our situation, that for 38 years, this guy is stuck wherever this bed is and Jesus just simply said, he doesn't say, he doesn't address his superstition, he doesn't say, he's got his attention totally off of the pool of Bethesda and he says this, he says, just get up and grab your bed. And the guy got up and he walked And he was alive like never before. And God wants you today to stop feeling like you're stuck in the mud. Stop cycling. Everything is just this cycle of life and this cyclic thinking that it's just going to happen again. Well, it happened in 1974, so it's going to happen in 1984. And, well, the flu came around right around Christmas, so I'm expecting December 24th, Christmas Eve. I'm going to start sneezing. Stop thinking that way. Think progress. Think I'm made in the image of God. I'm going to have dominion. Come on. I'm going to reign in life. I'm going to see more people healed. I'm going to see more resurrections from the dead. I'm going to see more people saved. Come on. We're getting a bigger building. Come on, somebody. We're growing. God is doing things in our community. We're going to learn God's heart for people in a greater way. Think progress. Don't think cycles like you know, it's just going to happen all over again. And we're victims. We're victims to the, the spirit realm. I, I wonder how many times we pray ourselves into passivity. Come on. Say love. That's the Hebrew word for stop and think about it. That's a power pause. Sometimes because of the way we think we pray ourselves, oh, Lord, I'm just waiting on you, God. No, God's waiting on you sometimes. Did you know that? And sometimes we're praying about the silliest things. God's like, I, I don't care if you chew gum or mints. I just want you to get up. Well, what side of the bed should I get up off, Lord? I, you know, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Should I wear my gray pants today or my red pants? I want to just be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is not like, turn left, turn right. It's being being moved by the spirit of grace that I'm a son and I'm a daughter of God and I can reign in life. And guess what? You have authority to be responsible in your life. Wear whatever you want to wear. Wear what you like. Just dress nice. Don't be showing too much skin, ladies. Come on, somebody. God is a God of grace. Jesus transformed this man's paradigm by one word, and the word was rise up. And I pray that you capture the spirit and the life of that word for you today, that whatever cycle of defeat, failure, condemnation, legalism, or any of the things that you feel like you're paralyzed, that today you'll hear the voice of Jesus say, rise up, take your bed and walk. Take the thing that determined where you went and say, nope, I'm having dominion over this because God has given me power in my life to reign. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me? Would you rise up with me as we pray? I want to ask you if you're in this place and you're saying, "Pastor, I want to hear His voice breathing life into me," and I want to rise up. I just want to ask you simply as we pray. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. But I want you to acknowledge and say, "Pastor." Raise your hand up. Say, pray for me. I want to rise up. Come on, lift your hand up. There's hands going up all over this room. I'm ready to rise up. I'm ready to surrender. It's not an act. It's the ceasing of an act. I'm ready to give up so I can rise up. I'm ready to overcome because I'm born of God. I'm a child of God. Greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. We're more than overcomers and more than conquerors through Him who loved us in Romans chapter 8. As you're raising your hand, I want you to just receive the breath of heaven and receive the word of Jesus to rise and take authority over that thing that is trying to dictate. Take a thor- Come on. Maybe that bed is a, it's a proverbial thing of depression or defeat or despair, or maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's some sin that you struggle with. Let me tell you something. You are powerful and Jesus set you free so that you could reign through the abundance of his grace and the free gift of his righteousness. So pick up your bed. Take that thing and say, you will no longer determine where I go and what I do with my life. I will rise up. I will take this thing and I will have dominion over it for the rest of my life. You're powerful. You're valuable. You're not a victim. You're a victor. You're made in the image of God. And God is telling you right now, rise up. He says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And let the voice of God, affirm and release the reality of your identity as a child of God. When you know you're a son, you know you're a daughter, it becomes much easier to rise up. Thank you that we're sons. Those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Why? Because the Spirit's working in me. The Spirit, the Word of God heals me. The Word of God liberates me. The reality of that, what He's saying to me, the Spirit is uh, working in my life and I realize I'm a son of God I'm adopted I cry out Abba Father I'm adopted so I just speak blessings over every one of you that raised your hand would you lift both hands in the air if, that, if you raise your hand up lift both hands and just receive that surrender just receive the breath of heaven I speak life to you right now fire and passion new hunger may God change your whole paradigm that even your healing, your wholeness, your victory, your freedom comes in a way you never expected. In a way you never expected just by hearing the voice of Jesus your life. The answer is simple. It's not complicated. Hear him saying, rise up and respond. Don't be offended by what the Lord tells you. He says, rise up. I mean, can you imagine this guy 38 years? It's pretty, hey, get up, get up. You can walk, get up. He responded to the words of the rabbi. He responded to Jesus. So Lord, we respond and we say yes. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Would you pray this with me? Say, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you that I'm your child. Jesus, I can hear your voice. You're telling me, It's going to be okay. You're speaking peace to my heart. And I can enter your rest. Thank you for giving me life that is abundant. Thank you for giving me grace so that I can reign in life. Now say it loud. Say thank you that I can rise up in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on and seal it with praise, would you? (laughs) Hallelujah.